Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey. My name's Nick. And our friend Jake is on as well. Hi, Jake. Hi, guys. Hi. So today we're all here together, but not together, but apart, apart, but separate, apart, but together. Uh, Together alone. Together alone. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about books. And uh, yeah, and I think it's been important for us to kind of recognize the date every time we speak, just in case something comes up about the coronavirus and we talk about it. And then two weeks later, people are like, they're insane that they said that. The date's a good kind of context because <laughs> things quickly change. So what is today? Today is April 9th. Yeah. So yep. just putting it's that out Thursday. there. It's kind of like. Yeah, I had to check. Yeah. It's like when you put the newspaper up when you're being held captive. Similar. Captive. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, uh, this is both a podcast meant to inform and also serve as proof of life um, <laughs> for whoever is holding us captive. Exactly. So we're here to talk about books and we asked Jake on to talk about books with us because he's pretty smart, semi-intelligent, he writes words for a living. So <laughs> we thought, hey, why thanks. not? Yeah. Semi. Yeah, I got the semi-intelligent. That's great. Yeah, thanks for having me on to talk about books. Um I think you guys asked me to bring a couple that I liked or that I wanted to talk about. How do you guys want to do it? Yeah. So I think we both, I kind of asked you guys to consider some of the books that you remember that have kind of influenced your sobriety or stayed with you just so that we would have kind of a meaty thing to talk about. I think there's Mm -hmm. lots of books we've read that will naturally come up in the course of conversation and we can touch on those. It doesn't have to be like a book review for each book, you know? Got it. So we love books, right? All book readers here. Yeah, they're cool. Jake, have you read a lot of recovery books, would you say? I would say I've read a lot of recovery memoirs. Mm -hmm. I have real trouble making it through the more self-help side of things. Got it. Um, So, like, I've never made it through the big book Mm -hmm. in AA, not even out of a particular, like, dislike of AA. Just, I kind of get bored (laughs) reading it after a while. I don't know. I need narratives. But, yes, I've read, I don't know, probably... 10 or 12 recovery memoirs. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty popular genre. I think not just among people who are in recovery. I think people outside also just enjoy it. Definitely provides a pretty easy template for a narrative because it is sort of, you get to hear all the bad stuff, all the sort of degradation, and then there's a sort of easy redemption arc at the end. So it really, it's it's an easy way to write somebody's story and tie it up in a nice, uh, easy nod at the end. Yeah. So I think those are kind of the two buckets we'll enter, which are, are what the quitlet memoirs, and then also the, the more self-help territory, which Nick and I flourish in. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. So what book should start it off? Why don't you talk about, I, I know Jake, that one of your books is Drinking a Love Story. And I know that's kind of an archetype in a way. So maybe that's a good one to start out with. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, Drinking a Love Story, I don't know enough about recovery memoirs, whether or not to say, like, this actually started the trend. But 
it's definitely, I think if you read it, you will see, and then you read other recovery memoirs that were written after, you just see the echoes over and over. So Drinking a Love Story was written by Carolyn Knapp in the mid-90s, I think like 95, 96. And it's, you know, it is a story about her. She's a, you know, from the outside, has a pretty perfect life. It's from a very well-to-do family, goes to a really nice school, has a good job at a newspaper. Um, but on the inside is just, you know, a seething mass of um, not feeling great about herself and mm-hmm. drinks a lot to sort of cover that up. And, you know, I would say the first two thirds of the book are sort of her examining her early life, sort of trying to like pinpoint what exactly, if anything happened, and then her slowly coming to the realization that she needs to stop. And then maybe the last, very last bit of it is her finally, she meets a guy, wants to get serious with him, but her drinking is just getting in the way. There's a scene in the book that really has stayed with me where it's her, she's like spent the night over at his house, I think, and drank all the whiskey that was like on top of his fridge. And she's like trying to like sneak in through his like back porch to like replace the whiskey before he notices. And then like locks herself into the porch somehow and is like sweating and just like an anxious mess. And I was just like, oh, like, girl i've been there like (laughs) just remember like really strongly identifying with it but then she yeah she she discovers aa she goes to rehab gets sober and you know the last sort of bit of the book is really i think her sort of just um, singing the praises uh, of recovery and alcoholics anonymous but it's you know it's one i read right when i was getting really serious about getting sober and definitely i don't know i mean I think as you learn, when you start talking to a lot of people in recovery, everybody's story has a lot of similarities to mm-hmm. your own, but it was definitely something where I was just recognizing a lot of myself as I was reading. And that sense of communion with another person that you can get through a book of sort of feeling like you're not as alone as you sometimes uh, maybe feel otherwise is uh, one of the great things that books could do. Um, mm. Yeah. definitely was really nice during the, you know, I remember I was reading this definitely during the days where it felt very uh felt like I was in the middle of a very uh uh middle of a desert nothing around mm-hmm. and it was nice to read something that sort of confirmed uh a lot of what I was feeling yeah I can be, feel very alone and it's I forget about that because now I feel so in community with my experience that it it's a it's something that is easy to forget mm-hmm. that loneliness of the experience yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's maybe why I gravitated toward reading a lot of memoirs at first, because when I was the, you know, when I was first trying to get sober, I wasn't going towards a community. I wasn't finding other people who were in recovery. Um, and so uh, books about people who, you know, had drinking problems and were sort of overcoming them, even if they were maybe not the best books, I definitely read some duds. It gave me a little bit of that since at the time, I just wasn't really uh, eager to find a, a group or anything like that that I could go talk with. Yeah, it's scary to do that. Yeah, very. I I started reading that book when I was very early on, and it was triggering me too much. The way she talks about alcohol, I wanted it. It just made me want to drink. Yeah. It's And I identified a lot with her. I remember, too, working in at a newspaper, all that stuff, 
I remember being like, whoa, okay. And it was like almost too much for me. It was too mm-hmm. intense for me to get into at that time. And I think I gave it away. I was looking around for it today. I must have given it away. There's a few books I've given away. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I think that within memoirs, I've definitely been reading them. And it is like this weird thing of, you know, you'll be reading the memoir and you know, like, I mean, you know, you know how badly it's all going to turn out. But I mean, almost every recovery memoir starts with the sort of, you know, um, days of wine and roses right. uh, sections. And for me, at least, it can get very like, yeah, it is definitely like triggered cravings a few times where you're just mean. I know that at some point, like they're going to be like strapped down to a gurney um, <laughs> going through DTs, but boy, it didn't tonic. <laughs> you know, like it just, it, it can be dicey, but overall I do, I, I would say the good one, the really good ones uh, can be a real for me, were really, really helpful and just, I don't know, getting me through that early patch of just wondering what would be on the other side if I was going to give up everything that I had really built my life around. Jake, did you ever read these sorts of memoirs before you were thinking about getting sober? Or was it a thing that you only started doing once you kind of made that decision? I had read a couple. So... I remember being at the airport and picking up a million little pieces, which was the James Frey book, which they later, it was later revealed that he had like invented the whole thing basically. (laughs) And I picked it up in an airport and was reading it and not to like toot my own horn, but like was reading it. I was like, this guy, like this doesn't seem true because it's like, he like goes to rehab and it's like, he meets like a tough, mobster with like a heart of gold there's like he's pining after like this girl who like killed herself whose name is like lily or virgin or something like <laughs> incredibly <laughs> on the nose like and it's just like really poorly written like he's one he like i think he like thought he was doing like a hemingway thing anyway i i read a couple um beforehand where uh, I also uh, Augustine Burroughs is another writer right. called uh, Dry. Yeah. And I would read those and, you know, it was definitely like I would read them. And uh, so, you know, I'd read that, you know, I read a million little pieces while I was like drinking on a plane, sort of being like, this guy's full of shit. So, yeah, I definitely I was reading them and, you know, like I, I definitely at that point, you know, for most of my adult life, I knew that I had a drinking problem. It was just like, I didn't really want to do anything about it. So I could read them and I don't know, it wasn't like I would read them and think like, okay, I'm going to change my life. It was just sort of like, yep, that seems about right. And then I would just move along. Yeah. I remember when that book came out and I guess it was an Oprah book club and then Mm -hmm. it was really popular. I never actually read it. I only saw the South Park episode, A Million Little (laughs) Fibers where they spoofed it. So that's where I get most of my knowledge of this book from. But there is something like true about what you're saying, these redemption stories, they're kind of like universal stories. And like these recovery stories, they do have this like beginning, middle and end that is really satisfying to read. Have mm-hmm. you, have either of you read, speaking of archetype, the Mary Carr lit book? Yes. Lit by yeah. Mary Carr, is a better way of putting it? Yeah. Nick, did you read that? I know. You have recommended it to me. I haven't read it yet. (laughs) That's okay. I actually like, well, so I have a similar experience. Uh, There's a a book that I was reading, The Recovering by Leslie Jameson. 
and this is another book that you recommended, Lacey, and a lot of people who aren't even in recovery recommended this just because she's a great writer. It was a little difficult for me to read for a similar reason that you were talking about, Lacey, about just the beginning. It's just like fun times and she's in college and mm -hmm. it's kind of like, so I never actually got through that book, but mm -hmm. um, maybe that's a thing. I think I just maybe in my head have a hang up of those types of books, but going back to what you were saying about Mary Carr is definitely one on my list. I just haven't, haven't read it yet. Yeah, it's just, I started reading that book. And again, she's just a phenomenal writer. I started reading that book, right? You know, I, I was drinking when I was reading that book. And that's almost easier to read the drinking part while you're drinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I put it down. And I picked it back up and coincidentally or not, I don't know, it's, you know, you put down a book for a few months or whatever. When I picked it back up, it was her, it, she had switched over. She was starting to get sober. And it's a beautiful book, really. Again, I think, you know, I could, I could read myself in her. She really strongly went in the AA direction, believing in God. That's a, that's a huge part of the story. But even though I didn't identify mm -hmm. with that part of it, it's just a stunning piece of writing you know and uh i think the recovering and i was going to talk about that as well the recovering is similar jake have you read that by leslie jameson i have it's uh the leslie jameson one yeah, yeah that's probably the uh you know not i think mary carr is a beautiful writer but yeah uh, the recovering is probably the best written book about recovery that i've read um just like on a pure line by line basis yeah um, just really beautiful yeah, and I I think her writing, I think Mary Carr is more, slightly more hit you over the head, and mm -hmm. Leslie Carr, there's a subtlety, and it's it's these pieces of, while you're still active, and like kind of, I, I can't, I, I'm not as, I'm not a wordsmith, but just the, the very subtle things that come into your head, or the feelings, and the again, the loneliness and all of that, she puts words to things that I've never even thought another human being has felt because they're so subtle mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not even enough to talk about really, you know, but mm -hmm. that shared experience is, you know, she puts words to things that anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think that at least for me, like, again, like what you get from a really good memoir and not even just recovery memoirs but is yeah words are words are a very paltry thing to try to communicate the actual lived experience that goes on uh, inside of us and when somebody can even get like five percent of it through it feels really profound mm -hmm. and i definitely yeah again with mary carr i remember she has a bit where it's just her sitting on her back porch Mm -hmm. And it's like she's smoking cigarettes yeah. and drinking whiskey and sort of hiding from her husband and her kid. And yeah. it's just like her time. Yeah. Um, and just like feeling that, just like like feeling the air of like where she was like sitting. And it, it just, it was such a, I don't know. She had a way of just really making you feel very, very viscerally um, what it was like, um, both the good and then also the sort of, um, sticky grossness of the hangover afterwards um in a way that for me at least was also i read lit after i'd gotten sober and was uh in a lot of ways nicely like 
I didn't find as triggering because she did such a good job of describing how awful it is when you're sort of like really in the grips of it. Mm-hmm. And um, just, you know, every morning is sort of a fresh new hell of like, oh gosh, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. And speaking, so the gossip with Lit is that David Foster Wallace is one of the kind of major characters in it. And yes. I, of course, like many people, own Infinite Jest, but I haven't <laughs> read. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it for now. Is like a perfect time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've yeah, actually thought got, of that. We've got weeks and weeks. Yeah, Infinite Jest is actually a really good book about recovery. Of like a very good amount of it is set in a halfway house. And one of the main characters is a guy who is recovering, not from drinking, but from uh, opiate addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it is about addiction. A lot of it is sort of addiction in all of its forms, addiction to entertainment, addiction to sex, addiction to all kinds of different drugs and substances. He has an amazing section that's just about what an AA meeting is like and sort of he describes old timers in an AA meeting as being like crocodiles who are just sort of like, they have so much time sober. They're just almost like reptilian um, <laughs> with like their soberness. <laughs> and also like a young woman who gets up and starts speaking and she's like blaming everything about her drinking on everybody else and how like all the old timers are just sort of like shaking their heads because they yeah. know like, oh, she's not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um but yeah, it is, I mean, it is a very long book, no doubt. And I realize any middle-aged white guy who went to college saying you should read David Foster Wallace <laughs> is like an <laughs> Well, you know what convinced um, me finally? Well, I was, okay, so I read Lit, you know, and, and then I bought Infinite Jess at some point. And, you know, and then I read after his death more about, how much he abused yeah. Mary Carr and was like, well, maybe I don't, I don't know if I can get through that long of a book when I'm like actively disliking somebody who wrote it. And then Leslie Jameson's book <laughs> convinced me to read it because, so don't worry, it's not the middle-aged white guy that's convinced me. It was Leslie Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, does she write about that so in her book? Her book is all about, you know, this kind of analysis of, you know, how, how creativity and addiction are linked and how that's given so much weight in our society and, 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 but really primarily with white men, right? You know, women and black and Hispanic people aren't given really that permission, but and and I think it was like her own way of understanding, can I still be a good writer if I put down alcohol, right? It was her own investigation yeah. of that through her thesis probably, for yeah. her, P- did she get a PhD? It was through her P- thesis that she did that research, right? Yeah, it's sort of, I mean, it's a, it is the most, maybe the most ambitious of the recovery memoirs I've read, besides maybe one other, um, but it is this sort of like meta- analysis of the recovery memoir while she is just also telling her own story of recovery mm-hmm. and then also other people's stories of recovery it's yeah i mean it's 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 really impressive and if you're at all interested in recovery literature is yeah a i would say a must read yeah so yeah she talks quite a bit about it that was kind of her book like that's her book that 
changed everything. That was like her recovery memoir of like she was on this show talking right now. She'd be talking all about infinite jazz. So. <laughs> <laughs> instead you got me sorry no, yeah. no, no, no. We're, ha- we're happy we're happy with jake i would say like my absolute all-time favorite one is surprise surprise the one written by a white guy but uh david carr um, oh yeah the old um, media critic for the new york times who passed away in 2015 wrote a book called the night of the gun that is probably the one for me that was just the most sort of like maybe really, I think when I read it, I, I tried to read it once and I was still drinking and just like, I couldn't do it because what he does is it's not like a, I mean, it is a recovery memoir, but what he does is that he actually goes back and re-reports like his past because he realizes that like he was so spun out and out of it most of the time that he doesn't really know what happens. And, you know, he did some things when he was in active use that are really despicable. There's a point where he he leaves his daughters in the freezing cold in the car to go in and like smoke crack for a while. And they're um, like in car seats. They're like babies when he does that. Yeah, they're they're tiny babies. I mean, being the father of a small kid myself, like reading that part was really hard. But yeah, he goes back and he re-reports and it just turns out that all like not all, but a lot of what he remembers from his time using he just has completely wrong um, with, yeah. you know, one of the most significant parts, uh, small spoiler alert being that he has this, you know, memory that he carries of him being so like out of control drunk that he shows up at a friend's house and his friend like pulls a gun on him and is like, you got to get out of here. And then he goes back and talks to his friend and his friend is like, no man, like you had the gun. Oh my and God. I just re- remember reading that and just feeling like, just like a lightning bolt had struck me or something like that because it just felt like so deeply metaphorical for what it is like when you're in active use which is like you don't you know you you sort of you can understand the idea that like maybe people need to ward you off you're sort of like despicable or whatever but you don't really realize i think or at least i didn't until i sobered up of like oh no like i was like it wasn't just that i was like putting myself in danger like i was a danger to other people as well um and so yeah the whole book is just really he is very unsparing on himself but in this way that's very funny he's a very like very funny very wry uh writer so it's it goes down easy uh as they might say but it's also just like really i think he does a really good job of not giving himself any easy answers and does not do the thing of sort of like the easy redemption arc there is a redemption arc he does get his life together and um you know by all accounts was a really amazing person by the end of his life but it's the one that i think is probably the most unsparing um with the with the author being taking a really really searing look at his at what he was like um, when he was in active use yeah that takes a lot of a lot of courage i've yeah no i mean i i can't imagine doing the same at this point I, I think i would need a lot more years and i don't know uh, a lot more courage than i have right now to really go back and try to <laughs> report out everything uh, that happened during my years of active use for sure i remember when i was still you know when i was preparing myself to try and stop and i was seeing my addiction counselor she was like well have why don't you have someone record you while you're drunk like take a video and i was like 
no, unless you want a suicide on your hands. Like that's, (laughs) you know, I, it, yeah, I, the amount of self-hatred, I mean, that I could, I can come up with just baseline, you know, but to really go back and Mm -hmm. understand what you were doing and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely got to a point where, you know, I would come out of a blackout and, you know, friends would be like, oh, do you know what you did last night? And I'd just be like, I I don't want to know. Like, I just like, I don't have, unless there's like some sort of logistical reason I need to know, (laughs) like there's something I need to go pay off or go pick up or something like, yeah, I just, I don't want to know. Like it just, yeah. Um, Anyway, night of the gun, give it a read. Yeah, I've I've been wanting to. It's on my list. The uh, his daughter Erin Lee Carr is a documentary filmmaker now, and um, she actually has something on Netflix right now called "How to Fix a Drug Scandal." It's really interesting, especially since you know that she's in recovery herself. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, you know. They get really into like what what drugs do your brain, and anyway, there's an amazing interview on Fresh Air. I think I probably sent you, Jake, with her because Terry Lee, it, it, Terry Gross is like very clearly like obsessed with David Carr in the in <laughs> in the interview, like a real like fangirling hard, and you know, and Terry Gross like doesn't do all the interviews now. You know, she like only does the ones she really mm-hmm. wants to do. I think, and she's so fangirling, and Aaron Lee Carr is clearly you know infatuated with her father, but she talks about you know, like when she was an active addiction and like their relationship and the conversations they would have and how she got sober. And it's just like a really good conversation that I will link to in our show notes. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like, I'm just wondering why there's so many cars in like, I know they're all not like related, but there's a lot of cars right in these books. Yeah. Alan cars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, you got to have a monosyllabic last name if you're really yeah. going to make it the uh, <laughs> lit game. Nick, what was like the, what were the big ones for you? Like what, what books were big for you when you were sort of in early recovery? Yeah, I think I'm much more like stand. I get, I mean, the book that came to mind for me was the big book because that was really my introduction to all recovery sort of things. Like I, did not really admit that I have a, had a problem until I started going to those meetings. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like the first meeting that I went to very, very clearly because I just broke down. Like I was listening to the guy's story and I just like broke down crying and just like kind of lost it. And after the meeting was over, this guy came up to me and he handed me a copy of that book and I still have it. I still have that copy because he signed it in the beginning saying like, you never have to drink again. So I did that book is always like really special to me. Um, And like reading through that book and going through it with a sponsor, that was kind of my intro into recovery stuff. And I feel like when I was doing recovery, I was like fully AA at the beginning. So that was really the only book that I read for a long time was just uh, the big book. And then it got to a point where I was trying to explore my Eastern philosophy and how I grew up and kind of trying to mesh that with what, what I was learning in, in AA. And that's when I read a book called one breath at a time. And it was about Buddhism and the 12 steps. 
And so from reading that book, it gave me a new kind of framework to work with recovery. And then I read, actually, like the book after that was a memoir. It was Noah Levine's memoir, Dharma Punks. And that was very like impactful for me, just hearing about his story. And again, this is like, I don't know, like almost like four years ago when I first read this book. I don't know how I'd relate with it now if I was reading it now. But at the time, it was like a lightning bolt like went off in me. Um, and I was, I like, I just related with him and the way that he talked about punk rock and not drinking and not doing substances and like Buddhism, just being like the most anti-establishment thing that you can do. And just like the coolest thing that you can do. So it, that book for me really changed the way I thought about like my recovery to not be this thing. Like I had to do, it was this thing that I was like, fuck yeah, I'm doing this and I'm awesome because I'm doing this. And, you know, from there, that's when I started reading Refuge Recovery and started getting into that whole world. So I feel like those were like the books in order that kind of like set me on my path of recovery. Did you, I mean, when you were reading the big book, I mean, one of the things that like beyond like getting somewhat bored with the big book, did you like did the sort of, I don't know how to describe it, like the old timiness of the big book ever bother you at all i guess that's the thing is like i never actually like sat down and read the big book like cover to cover it was always like my sponsor would be like read like you know pages one through 20 and then we'll like get together and discuss it so like reading the book that way it like yeah for sure there's like old timiness to it and it's like in this other era where it was written there's a lot of problems with the way that it's written to be honest but Mm -hmm. um when you're when you're talking about it with another person you can kind of frame it the way that you are and that other person is i think you know you could probably take some of those things and put a new spin on it just the way that you understand it but i definitely get your point is very Mm old-timey and it's very you know based on western christian theological thought I mean, yeah, to be clear, like, I'm not trying to, like, push back against, like, the big book. I think that, like, overall, it does the job that it sets out to do pretty well, though, you know, probably could use a slight refresh. I'm just curious if, like, you know, reading that was something that you struggled with, because I know it was for me at times. Um, It just felt very, like, reading something from the 50s, which made it harder for me to relate to. as directly. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there was a certain point where I definitely drank, like, the, you know the Kool-Aid of AA and it was just all about AA. And I think, you know, that for me, like worked really well at that point in my life. But then when I took a step back from it, I could see that there were some, you know, things that I necessarily didn't agree with, you know, from the outside that Mm -hmm. when you're in it, it it was just a different thing. No, because like (laughs) what, like one of the books that I've read recently and Lacey, like you read this book too, so you can, you can talk about this as well, was uh, Quit Like a Woman. Yeah. And she talks a lot about AA and that really kind of shifted a lot of my perspective of how I viewed things because of that book. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that as well, Lacey. Well, yeah, I think Quit Like a Woman was, uh, when you guys are talking about these Thunderbolt books, like Quit Like a Woman was definitely a Thunderbolt for me. I was reviewing it before the show just to kind of 
so I could speak about it coherently. And let's see if that worked. And it, it still made me like <laughs> shake. Like I was physically shaking it because it resonates so fucking hard. It, and, it, it, and to be clear, it does not, you do not have to be a woman or identify as a woman to read it. I think, I think, she, you know, one of the reasons she wrote it is because, you know, the largest, you know, the primary way people get sober from alcohol in the United States is through 12 step. And there's this, whether they like it or not, or whatever, there's this, if you don't do it that way, you're doing it wrong kind of belief or understanding. So she's setting out for, you know, to, to talk about a different perspective. And so she comes at it from, you know, women are made small for their whole lives. They're told they can't trust their opinions or their feelings. They're crazy. All of this stuff that, you know, is, is so ingrained in us. And so mm -hmm. a program like AA is for people who have larger egos, who, are, who need to diminish their egos in order to start getting sober. And those tools and tasks can hurt somebody who has a really small ego as it is and already knows their personal defects pretty fucking well and reviews them every morning. And, you know, it, 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 the book is very empowering. And that, that's her whole kind of basis for recovery is that women and, and, and marginalized people need to be empowered in their recovery and need to be able to trust their instincts and know what's right for them. And that, that spoke to me because that's, that's exactly the path that I went down. You know, like I, I think instinctually I knew 12 step was not right for me. And part of me felt like I was just being stubborn and I'm just a stubborn person and I'm, I'm bad like that. You know, I just, I'm not going to do what someone tells me to do. And that's part of my problem and da, 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 da. But really I think underlying it was it, it didn't feel good to me. It didn't, it didn't make me want to get sober. It made me feel like I was like in the doghouse. I was being a bad girl all the time, you know, and, and it just loaded that onto me more. Mm -hmm. And what's really helped my recovery is using my voice, being on this podcast, feeling strong, being opinionated. All of that has made me feel safer in my sobriety. So yeah, I I don't I didn't speak about it as eloquently as I would have liked, but it it it's really Oh, I thought that was great. That's a really <laughs> yeah. nice way of talking about it. Yeah. And there's so much I mean that was, that was pretty good. It it's um Yeah, why are you putting yourself down? You got to have a big <laughs> ego about this. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, clearly something I still need to work on, but it, it um, there's also parts in it that are just about our society's relationship to alcohol. I mean, I can talk about this forever, but just that we're bred these lies by the alcohol industry that, you know, we're made to believe that we have this problem and it's the whole disease model is set up to feel like we're the weirdos because we can't handle imbibing an addictive poison. Mm -hmm. people who smoke cigarettes, while there may be some judgment there, we understand that the cigarette is inherently addictive and that there's not like people who can smoke cigarettes normally and those are the normal people. And then there's the ad ad addicted, diseased cigarette smokers. Mm -hmm. And she just has a lot of backup for this, a lot of, 
it's very compelling, you know, this, this kind of narrative we've been sold about how we're the weirdos and we're the ones with the problem when we're being told that it's normal to ingest a cancerous poison that's literally ethanol. And that if you don't, you know, you, you're an outcast from society basically. And we're also at least stand outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, we're all also part of that narrative. If you bring that up, you're a bummer. And like, everyone's, you know, uh, like that's lame and bitchy and no one wants to hear about that, you know? And I think that's also the alcohol company narrative that we've been sold is that to even point out the problem means that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I do think I haven't read that book, but I remember us talking about it and I was thinking about that um, a little bit when at least where in New York and New Jersey, how, you know, liquor stores have been deemed essential businesses right now during um, the lockdown of pretty much everything. And a lot of people I knew that I thought, you know, I think of as like pretty well-informed and smart being like, why are they keeping liquor stores open as essential businesses? And just being like, because so many people would go into withdrawal. Yeah. If you just like cut off the supply of liquor and yeah. just like realizing like how many people or like you know drink themselves just don't just it doesn't compute for them that like there's a lot of people that are addicted right um, including possibly themselves if all of a sudden they found that they like could not drink uh, at all yeah it's not like they would go into dts or something but they might wonder why they were like suddenly like snapping at their significant other or just like really fucking irritable or not sleeping very well all of a sudden yeah, and I think that's she talks about that too, how the disease model sets it up for us and them and you're either one or you're not. And when there's there's this huge gray area of problematic drinking, you know, since since it's known to be progressive, if you're in a problematic area that can easily grow into a chemical dependence. So it's mm-hmm. it allows people to not address problematic relationships with alcohol, basically. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but I like I definitely reckon that book was great. I mean, it goes into so many of these topics and just with this what I really appreciated of it is that it gives you this alternative perspective to everything. Mm-hmm. And even with recovery, like you're you're right, like for a long time and even now AA is the model that people follow, but it's nice that there are other alternatives out there if that doesn't necessarily jive with you, you know? But even like with it got me thinking about like even Buddhism, which is like kind of how like I view the world now in that framework and what you were talking about before, Lacey, about ego and like a lot of Buddhism is about like, you know, emptiness and no ego. Mm -hmm. And and just like you can't get to that point if you don't have an ego. You know what I mean? You have to build yourself up first to even recognize that there's something there, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's um, and it's just like you need the ego just because you need to exist. You know, you need to have like some some worth to yourself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know that. But yeah, I totally agree. That book was uh, pretty mind blowing for me as well. Yeah, I I can't recommend it enough. Um, yeah, I almost wish it didn't say like she almost needs to make another book that has, you know, <laughs> for all like, genders. Like. <laughs> Yeah, how to quit like a, uh, yeah, gender is a construct, stop drinking. (laughs) You're being sold a set of lies, get with it. But she she talks a lot about Alan Carr, speaking of the other car, 
Uh, yeah. Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Quit, Quit Drinking. That's how, that was the book that kind of set her on her journey, you know, that helped her the most. Have either of you guys done the Alan Carr book? Yeah, I read it. I I actually read his book on how to quit alcohol and the one to quit cigarettes, which are basically the same book. I think he just Mm -hmm. went in and like found and replaced alcohol with cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like similar like concepts. Respect the hustle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he does have these, this image that he talks about this, uh, he calls it like the pitcher plant and how you like slowly get trapped by it's kind of sounds like a Venus flytrap or something you get into it, you don't realize that you're in it. And then all of a sudden it swallows you up and you can't even get out, you know? So yeah, I've read a lot of the self-help tech books as well. I think they're pretty good. I, I don't know if it was, I, I couldn't do it on my own just using that book, but it's definitely worth a read. Like what's the, I mean, cause I've heard a fair amount of people that it's like you, Nick, like I consider to be like pretty smart intelligent people and but like when i actually read the summary of the book i'm always like huh like it's super salesy like it's to me it like comes across like very very like salesy like Mm -hmm. read this book and you can you know stop in 30 days you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but But i don't know like is that your thoughts on it well i'm just curious like what the actual like thesis is once you actually like get into it because that's the thing that like hasn't been entirely clear to me when I've heard people talk about it or like what what's the the gist I guess it's basically like you know you read the book and he still says like with the smoking one even with the drinking one to like um keep to it. keep doing what you're doing when you're reading the book and just by the process of like reading the book it's a more kind of rational way of looking at it and seeing that like this is not something that serves you it's not something that's mm-hmm helpful in any way and so just by the i guess it's it's sort of hard to explain without like it's not like do this do that do that it's kind of like this osmosis of like reading the book and then realizing like huh i don't really want to do this anymore it's mine it's like a mindfulness technique yeah 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 i think that's fair to say yeah yeah it's yeah it's similar to what was the other book you brought up before oh this naked mind yes I think this naked mind is similar in that it uses kind of techniques to kind of allow you to see what you're actually doing and how you've been kind of converted to this other side of thinking that's not reality, which is that you need this thing. It's supporting your social life. It's this, it's that, you know, when really it is poison and harming you a lot. Yeah, I no, I totally agree. And there was another book that she read too that was like it was like a workbook. It was called The 30-Day Alcohol Experiment. I actually did it with my brother. And it was like that like each day you read something and it was like Lacey's explaining like something that's oh, okay, like don't you feel like better in the morning when you don't do this? Why is that? Oh, it's because alcohol has all these issues with it. So in that way like quit, quit like a woman has elements of that too. That's just like these are facts, you know. Mm-hmm just learn the facts Mm -hmm. and then you might change the way that you're looking at this thing that has some sort of like control over you looking at that and seeing what the relationship is there it's just kind of a different way of looking at things i know that like when i was first getting sober a lot of so a lot of the memoirs i was reading were like super helpful for me just partly also just because during early days of sobriety like pretty much anything i could read to just sort of like take my mind off something um, was helpful yeah 
how much of these books do you feel like are sort of like early sobriety stuff and how much of it is sort of the i don't know what stage i guess i'm in like early middle or something like that like i'm definitely not early anymore i mean but, but now that like we're talking about this i wouldn't mind reading one of these books before uh, again because they're really yeah. like it's reflection and journaling and mm-hmm. looking at yourself you know so it's a lot of like work that you're doing that's just like reflection so I would say like at any point you could do one of these things just to remind yourself of like why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, think, I don't know how you feel about that, Lacey. Yeah. I think you take different things from it just as, you know, if you have a favorite book from when you were 16 and maybe if you reread it now, you wouldn't like it as much, but if it's a well-written book and it's like whatever, well-respected, you know, and you reread it now, you'll, appreciate it for different reasons and it'll be that much richer to you because you can you can see yourself as you've read it when you were 16 and have that understanding of it and then you have this richer other added on experience of understanding the book and I think that's similar to sobriety in that you have the first like just needs of early sobriety are different than the kind of objective understanding of a life lived sober when you're Mm. reading one of these books and it it, you just get new things from it i think well i i mean one of the things that like uh always irks me about a lot of the memoirs and i think mary carr actually wrote sort of a, a sequel of sorts to lit right where it's just sort of her after sobriety but most of them sort of just a lot of them end with like you know i got sober maybe there's like a relapse and then they like really recommit to sobriety the end and then sort of you know fade to gauzy white and everything works out and you know i I think it's we all know like that's not actually how it works being sober right (laughs) things don't just all work out life continues to be weird you know sad things happen bad things happen pandemics happen right and so, yeah, I, I guess maybe it's time I give a self-help book a try. Um, <laughs> I'm like, which one's it going to be? This is so exciting. I, know, I, I get the feeling I'm about to get like a, just a shit ton of text messages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, there's obviously smarter ones and ones that like don't give you cavities so much. You know, it's there's mm-hmm. there's a range. There's there's a self-help book out there for everybody. <laughs> that sounds like a self-help book. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes with the self-help, because I just went through like a self-help pit for a long time. It's like all I was reading. And then at a certain point, it's just like, you know, you don't have to constantly improve yourself. You're like, okay, the way you are, you know? So I think you, at least, you know, speaking from my experience, I think I, I was just constantly trying to improve myself and it was maybe not very helpful no i think that's an interesting I point mean, because I, my mother was visiting me and she was like oh you remind me of so and so this person and she's like always reading self-help books and i got a little defensive about it in my head i didn't say anything but then i was like you know what that's what people in sobriety are they're always there's this need to self help you know there's this need to grow all the time you know, if you're kind of like in active recovery, I mean, that's my perspective as somebody also who doesn't have children or a partner or like, this is what I'm doing <laughs> with my life, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, guess it's like, but another book that you recommended, Lacey, is The Artist's Way. Yeah. And 
I, I don't know if you consider that a self-help book or not. Yes, but... it's definitely a self-help book. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't, I guess a lot of these things are more like just like personal self-reflection, you know, and more of like just getting an understanding of yourself. Yeah, self-growth. Yeah. But I don't know if that's necessarily growth. I think that's just understanding. What do you think, Jake? I mean, I can see the, I can see the value of it. You know, I, I think that something that happens to me a lot of times when I start reading self-help books is like either they sort of go into sort of like salesman-y language, which immediately starts to turn me off. <laughs> or like a lot of times I attempt at self-improvement, I sort of like go in with good intentions and then sort of like meander off about a third of the way through. Mm. But I also think there's a part of me, I think there's like two parts of it where like, one also like, I feel like I'm carrying like some like, I don't know, like snobbishness probably about like self-help book. I don't know, like, lesser than it's like you know it's the stuff in the sort right. of like over in like the bad corner of like <laughs> barnes and noble you know like where where all the like not good books are i will tell um, you it's not it's very prominent but okay <laughs> <laughs> now they are now they're like the most popular books and they always have the f word in the cover yeah that's right i know <laughs> 30 days to unfuck yourself yeah, no, I definitely have seen the like self help for like fucking dudes. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like, get your fucking shit together, bro. Like, yeah, those books of like, yeah, definitely seem to be like coming on the scene. But I, yeah, I mean, I do think that there's also part of it where like, you know, the books are asking you to actually do honest reflection and to think about yourself. And at the same time, I don't know if you guys have this where like sometimes I'll go to talk to my therapist and for like the first 10 minutes, I just have this, I don't want to fucking be here, man. Like, I just, like, I don't, I don't want to delve into this right now. Let's just, I don't know. Like, how are you doing? I just, you know, like, I kind of like don't yeah. want to get into it. It's and difficult. I, can, yeah. I think that's, yeah, it just, it requires like a little bit more uh, effort, openness to being reflective than I necessarily want to bring to like my limited free time yeah. versus like, reading a book about um spaceships um in outer space doing stuff where they blow each other up or something like whizzing that. around yeah yes they're always whizzing <laughs> but i think that's like something about like these books like the recovery like recovery dharma book for instance you know we've read that book hundreds of times but it's there's still something new every time we read it yeah and the big benefit the biggest benefit for me of that book is the questions that are in it you know, not just for me, but talking about it with another person and hearing what they answer those questions, you know, that connection aspect of these types of books is something that's really special, I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's a, uh, yeah, built in community aspects specifically to program books like the big book or the recovery drama book, for example. Yeah. Right, which I mean is sort of sets them apart from sort of a typical the way book. most of us actually experience most books, which is just as a solitary activity that you do yeah. in your sort of brain. Uh, well, I think, yeah, almost like the self-help books too, is I'm reading this book by myself and I'm doing all this stuff to myself and it's just mm -hmm. all just individual me versus, well, not to bring up another book, but there's this book called Lost Connections that I read mm -hmm. that's not, I, it's about depression, which I suffer from. And one and and the author of this book, uh, Johan Hari, I think it's the name. He's he has this condition as well, 
And he says the biggest reason is because we've lost connections with people. And the way we live in society right now is a very individualized sort of society. And we lose that human to human connection. And that's ultimately one of the things that lifts you out of depression. In my case, like depression, substance abuse, they're very like linked together. So Mm -hmm. I think those for me are the books that are just very, they're very like simple books, but just the act of sharing it with another person is, is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah, for me, uh, the act of actually talking to anybody else in recovery seems almost always guaranteed to usually, even if I don't leave it like feeling like tiptoeing through the daisies or anything, it feels significant and like, I don't know, I just feel more full inside in a way that, you know, 99% of books can't really give you. Um, And it is interesting that we're uh, talking about this uh, right now when most of us can't really uh, see most people or uh, actually experience that community, right? uh, except in some sort of very mediated ways. Yeah. Well, Jake, you need to pick a self-help book (laughs) and then we all need to read it together. Oh, and then we can all read it together. Yeah. You want to do that, Jake? Um, All right. So you guys have to pick my self-help book. (gasps) You need to self-help yourself. That's the first step is helping yourself. Oh man. Um, I I will say. I don't want to do the Alan. Yeah, no. I mean, it doesn't have to be. It also doesn't have to be a drinking book. It can be yeah. any anything. Like for instance, I did one. One of like one of the books that I consider a recovery book for me is this book called The Confidence Gap, which is what it sounds. Like. It's about gaining confidence, and it's because that's part of my recovery. Just I was talking about finding my voice is part of my recovery, and. That book was recommended to me by my therapist and then I bought it and then promptly put it away. I like saw how much work it actually involves, which is a lot of work, and I put it away. And then I heard Holly Whitaker speak. She's the woman who wrote Quit Like a Woman. And I asked her a question at the end about something specific and she recommended that book that my therapist wrote or uh, recommended to me. And so then, oh, wow. of course, I fucking picked it up and did all the work and it's a great book but you have you know there's different places in your life that you're ready to do the work and you kind of can just acknowledge that too you know like maybe jake's book right now is not you know as as a parent who's working from home and taking the care of their child is not the you know having to have a notebook out at all times and you know taking an hour to do like self-reflection and then answers and da, da, da. so there's like different forms of self-help books ones that also just make your brain light up and give you ideas and all of that as opposed to giving you a ton of homework you know yeah that's a great point yeah is there an app that just involves me watching like about 90 second videos <laughs> once a day and that's it Yes, no, yeah, it, it, I mean, yes. The amount of free time that I have does make the idea of spending it on a self-help book that I may or may not actively enjoy a little more daunting. One that I was curious about that I know, I think you've talked about, Lacey, and Nick, I think that you've talked about a little bit of, is the the Craving Mind. Yes. Yeah. Um, which oh, is one yeah. that I've been like curious about, not just from like a recovery standpoint, but because I used to write a lot more about gadgets, especially smartphones and sort of just talk a lot about how like addictive they can be. I know that that's a book that people who are more in the technology space have talked about some as well. What did you guys think about that one? Yeah, it's it's definitely written for for more kind of 
less addictions that will kill you. It's it's written more for that general. Yeah, the the smartphone addiction, maybe cigarettes, you know, but it you can work for anything. And Judge Judson Brewer wrote it. He's he does this for a living. He's a PhD addiction person. I, isn't that really eloquent way of putting that? <laughs> he sets out this. I rank. think he's a medic. Is he a medical doctor? Yeah, I'm looking at the back of the book. MD and PhD, Director of Research at their Center for Mindfulness. I don't think that's correct anymore. But anyway, and he was at uh, the Massachusetts Medical School. Anyway, he, he says that. Count as my, would what? that count as my self-help book? Yeah, this is definitely. Yeah. yeah and Whatever it, helps you is helping your self-help. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. And know, it's, I need it's, you guys to. I need you guys to approve to, it. To validate. I actually, you know what? I when you were talking about videos, I actually approve of that idea too. Because I go on YouTube a lot for self help too. <laughs> there's actually a really cool. I watch a lot of like Buddhist like Dharma talks on there. And there's actually a, a channel called School of Life, that he's like a philosopher. He writes. He he makes all these like cool videos. So, I uh, I give my stamp of approval to that idea. But let's go back to. Judson Brewer. <laughs> yes, Judson Brewer. So he he has this rain technique in here that is just like a great way of looking at cravings. And I remember when <laughs> I read it, I like took pictures of it, sent it to Nick, sent it to my therapist. Was everybody I knew? I tend to do that when I like a book. But it's yeah, I it's it's one of my favorites for sure. It's it's right here sitting next to me for a reason. It's well marked up. I highly recommend. Yeah. And I, I really like that he like the science aspect yeah. of mindfulness and meditation was something I didn't really give a lot of thought to when I first started getting into Buddhism it was more like a spiritual kind of thing for me. But now like it, it just makes it deeper for me now to like understand the science behind it and how like your brain actually changes when you have an addiction and you have these like mm -hmm. neural pathways that form that light up your like dopamine reward systems and you can actually change those pathways neuroplasticity and rewire the your brain by doing the techniques that he talks about so yeah it's dope. that's yeah that sounds great i remember early on in recovery when i had a psychiatrist just explain the concept of like neuroplasticity and epigenetics like the idea that your dna can change due to environment and finding so much like solace in that. I was oh, so I, would, I didn't like permanently fuck my brain. Yeah. It was sort of like, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, like it's it, you know, you can you can change it slightly. Yeah. You didn't say like you may have permanently fucked it, but you can semi unpermanently fuck it or something. No, I mean I totally agree with you. It's very like hopeful message. Instead of like right. we were talking about the disease model before and being like, this is it you know this is who you are yeah. from the moment you're born yeah and, and maybe like to, to your point you you might have some tendencies towards that but that's not how you have to be forever mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's a much more hopeful and to me like actually uh understandable and a, like worthwhile message than um the idea that i need to hope for just sort of a spiritual epiphany as much as i would love to just have a Paul on the road to Damascus moment where like the scales fall off my eyes and like everything becomes clear. Uh, <laughs> and, like, instead, like being sober uh, is just like 
just continuously doing work. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about that, Lacey? Because you talk a lot about how the, you have a family history mm-hmm. of, of this and how that's affected you. How do you think about those things? Yeah. I mean, I think, honestly, I think, you know, yes, I was born with a genetic predisposition towards addiction, maybe specifically to alcohol. I don't know. I'm not that, but, and that there are circumstances in my life that set off those genetic markers, I guess is, yeah. But, you know, and I, and I, and I see this and I've read about neuroplasticity and how you, your brain can change. And like I, this concept that I'm no longer addicted to alcohol because I'm not using it. You know, I'm not like, that's not who I am. I'm not one drink away from dying or, you know, like if I had a drink right now, I could probably put it down. But what my life is, what my recovery looks like is basically understanding that I don't need those things in my life, that life is richer for not having them, and that our society is being sold a bill of goods to say that we even need them in our lives to be happy or have an interesting time or to have fun or to let loose. Like we don't need those things at all. And so that's kind of where my my recovery is headed. And that's like how I choose to see life, you know? Mm. Yeah, for sure. And it's scary to me to be like, even like go down the road of, you know, I can, my brain has changed. I'm not quote unquote addicted anymore. Like I don't like it's, it does just to be totally honest, like that scares me, that train of thinking, even though I believe in it technically, I just choose to say like, it doesn't matter because I don't need that shit anyway. And it, that's all bullshit that, that it is needed or like desirable anyway. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if I necessarily think, oh, my brain has changed and now I can drink. It's more like the reward centers in my brain now like fire when I go for a run or I meditate or like, you know, eat a good meal or something like that versus, and that's the, those are the things that I crave now, you know, healthy things versus the way my brain was before I would crave this poison basically that was giving me the false sense of rewarding myself. Oh no, I can, I can, I can see the difference and I, and I, I I experienced the difference all the time and I can still relate to it that it took so much more to make me feel quote unquote good. And now I can just smell the air. And if it smells like grass, it just, I can feel it all over my body. I can relax, you know, like it, it takes very, it's that mindfulness training too, of kind of actually smelling the air, you know, but those smaller things have much bigger reward, rewards now. And that's how we're supposed to be. That's how humans are supposed to be set up. It but. sounds like you're describing you've basically been not dopamine fasting, but dopamine. Um, Moderating? Oh, shit. What's it? That? Yeah. <laughs> dopamine. Kind of. Yeah. Taper for like <laughs> a period of time. Like you can like slowly, I don't know. Cause I definitely like, I can feel like in my own life that like, particularly over the past, couple of weeks of things have gotten weird that I'm definitely like using food as a reward mm. more. I'm playing video games like on my phone more than I like normally mm. would. Some of those things are starting to flare back up where it is sort of that is to some level like addictive behavior. It's not nearly as damaging, but to be able to sort of not need those sort of escapist rewards as much would be nice. 
Yeah, but like, I mean, I've been playing mad video games lately. And like, <laughs> you know, like mad food. Like, yeah, shit is like crazy right now. But it's also, also giving yourself a break and just being like, whatever, I can do this now. And I can do other stuff later. It's Everything's all good, you know? Yeah, everything changes. Yeah. And I think also you have to, th- this is when that brain science comes in again, is your prefrontal cortex is kind of overloaded throughout the day. So you have less strength to be able to say no to a video game or say no to a, a food that's like not necessarily good for you, but like comforts you in some way, you know, I think what's going on with you being a full-time parent and a full-time employee and all everything else and the stress of just like going to the grocery store and all that's involved, like all of that is overloading, overloading your PFC and therefore you have less willpower and that's, that's not your fault that's your brain that's like your that's all it's all getting used up so you have like a lot less willpower left the sheer number of my kids goldfish crackers that i have (laughs) consumed over the past two weeks is it's definitely triple digits maybe (laughs) like maybe heading towards four digits are like they are they the organic kinds (laughs) yeah uh it might be uh Maybe I uh, shouldn't be buying the big cartons anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, yeah, like Jake, you have so much going on too. I don't actually have jack shit going on. I'm single and staying with my parents, you know, <laughs> I really, and I'm barely holding my shit together. So like, <laughs> yeah, you, you're doing all right. <laughs> if, if goldfish crackers is what's the, the big splurge for you, I think you're doing all right. I mean, I, I do want to come clean and say that there's also been some Swedish fish. Involved. Oh, <laughs> you know that that's my weak spot. It's funny in that Quit Like a Woman book, Holly Whitaker, she says, like, you make a list of what you can't fuck with, the do not fuck with list, and she has Swedish fish on hers, and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Swedish fish might, be, uh, might Jake, have to go on the list. I think well. I, I told Jake that... I actually did EMDR with my therapist on Swedish fish. Really? (laughs) (laughs) We kind of did it for fun in a way, like as an experiment to see if we could do it, if it would work. And it did. It worked. I mean, I still know that like it's a slippery slope. (laughs) (laughs) But now that I've actually done EMDR, like I get what you're talking about. Yeah. That makes sense how you could do that jake it was like have you ever done emdr no no okay uh, i'm i'm curious but uh, also it seems like uh, it's a lot of work I probably <laughs> well no more than that i was actually thinking about doing it my uh, current therapist is going out on maternity leave pretty mm-hmm. soon so um the person i was talking about when to see actually specializes in it oh. but um you kind of need to be in the same room is my understanding no um nope not yeah true. i didn't mind i didn't mind over facetime and i i my oh, therapist really? over facetime now yeah i've been seeing my therapist okay, well. for four years remotely and we do it over all right um zoom. yeah i don't know i've been feeling very weird about like the last few times doing it over like zoom or video chat but it's also like a little bit weird because i just like spend most of my day now in video chat right um yeah. rooms. that is a very different discussion for um 
next week on Sober Company, <laughs> let's talk about video chat and like why <laughs> you hide your fucking face in those things because I am very tired of looking at myself. I'm sorry to get off to get wild. Oh no. No. I think we've been off topic for a while. Yeah, no, we're talking about um. EMCR. <laughs> All right, should we wrap up? Let's do it. Okay. Well, thank you, Jake, for coming on. This is your second episode you. with us. Thanks so much. The the guest's so nice, you had to have him twice. I appreciate <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> you ended up interviewing us a little bit, which was fun. <laughs> Which you're better at it, I think, because you do it for a living. So we appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. I uh, It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. And I'm so glad to see how well the podcast has been doing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll, we'll inevitably figure out another topic for you to come on. Maybe when the EMDR gets kicking, we can do an EMDR episode. Yeah, I will. I will come back and let you know exactly how many Swedish fish I'm down to. <laughs> Great. Perfect. <laughs> All right, so that is it. Well, that's it for this week. Another one wrapped up. Please visit us on our new website, sober.company. Yes, if you put sober.company into your browser, it will get you to our website. Please visit us on wherever you find your podcast and give us a good rating and a good review and share us with your friends and family. And also, please check out show notes. I'm going to link to like everything we spoke about today all the books all the videos whatever it'll all be in there our theme music as always is by john tessier courtesy of the lovely folks at said so sound stay safe stay indoors we love you see you next week <laughs> emdr for gummies for swedish fish no but yeah. jake will appreciate this because we used to work at the same place she had me like picture you know going down to the cafeteria <laughs> putting myself there see like exactly where i am and i can picture myself now there of course and like how they sell the swedish fish and like putting my hands on the packaging and like <laughs> You do the whole Getting thing. Getting a little carton, the little it plastic on the thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what feelings uh, are you feeling right now? What are your emotions? Like, you know, and um, it was, but it it worked, you know, and uh, yeah. Once you get through right, the, I will uh, feel. I might have just like a few other things like <laughs> higher up the list that I want to deal with than <laughs> gummy. <laughs> But I will keep that. I will definitely back pocket that for if we ever have a day where it's just like, well, I don't have much else. So. Let, let's work on this. <laughs> yeah. Let's knock out the Swedish fish thing. <laughs> um, but I'm not giving up my goldfish. <laughs> <laughs>